0: and your business today. I am super honored and excited for today's guests. Back again on Making Bank: Mastin Kip, Stephen Summers, Evan Carmichael, Naveen Jain, Nathan Hirsch, Russell Brunson, Clay Gardner. What got you started as an entrepreneur? Because I think when we were talking before, you, you came to this country, you only had a little bit of money in your pocket, and you know to be able to transform from where you came to where you are today. Yes.
1: You know, as an entrepreneur, you know, everybody claims that they want to be an entrepreneur. Sure. And to them, being an entrepreneur means starting a company. And really, to me, the entrepreneurs are the ones that solve the problem. So, right. so there are, you know, in my world, there are three types of people people who think of a problem and says, all of us are really good about bitching about the problems, let's just call them human beings, right? (laughs) Right. Some of us are smart enough to come up with a solution to a problem, and these are the visionaries, and these are the people who are really, to some extent, are scientists who come up with a solution to the problem. And there's only one breed of people who actually goes out and solves the problem, and these are the people, we call them entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs are the problem solvers. That means any time you see a problem, Go out and do something about it. Mm. So as an entrepreneur, I went on this journey because I felt there were problems that I cared enough about that I was going to dedicate my life to solve okay. them. So uh, to me, the best way to know what is it your calling in life is to find something that you're willing to die for and then live for it. Mm. And okay. if you do that, you actually will find something that you care enough that you will go out and solve it.
0: And that, no, I think that, you know, a lot of people are like trying to find their passion mm-hmm. and, oh, what is my passion? You know, whatever, you know, I guess, how does, how does that differentiate from like, you find something that you would die for, yeah. but then live
1: for yeah. it? So that's one. And other way <clears throat> of actually to be in more practical terms, the best way to find what your true passion is to start thinking I say, what if, I had a billion dollars, an amazing family, everything that I always sure. wanted, I have it now. Okay. What would I do? And if you do that today, you will get everything that you want, right? Right. So focusing on making money is actually is uh is a wrong thing to do. Sure. So the way to think about it is like making money is really like having an orgasm. When you focus on it, you will never get it. Right. <laughs> right. So if you don't focus on it, just enjoy the process of doing it, you will obviously get what you want. But sure. you can't focus on it.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. What uh, and so for you, when you first came here, what was that um, thing you were looking for? That you know, that problem you were trying to solve.
1: So obviously, my first entrepreneurial venture was about uh, 20 plus years ago. There were no smartphones at that time. So sure. imagine it's now year 2000. This is seven years before Steve Jobs introduced iPhone. At that time, my fundamental belief was that people want information at their fingertips. And there is really an interesting interview in the Washington Post. I, would have, I think the reporter named Leslie Walker. Right. And it starts and saying, one day people are going to have a phone in their pocket. <laughs> that we'll be able to get your email. You'll be able to get your weather and stock quotes. And she's saying, what are you talking about? I said, imagine (laughs) if your phone one day is gonna become your credit card. You'll be able to use your phone to make a payment. You're gonna go drive by Starbucks and get a coupon for Starbucks. And she said, I have no idea, sir, what you're talking about. It's not gonna happen in our lifetime, (laughs) right? And that lifetime was seven years. Seven years, yeah. (laughs) So my point was, I felt that that time will come when people will do that. And I built a company based on that belief. And oh, that wow. company okay. was InfoSpace. Sure. Even though there were no smartphones, that company with that vision went on to become a $40 billion market cap. Wow. Right. So the point is, even though the technology wasn't ready, right. people actually believed that vision was the right vision and people were willing to back on it. Sure. So to me, what I have found time and time again is, people want to associate themselves with the success. That means they want to believe in you. And if you are an entrepreneur or a salesperson, m- most salespeople tend to sell the product or a service that they are building. Okay. And that to me right. is the wrong approach. The minute you are asking me to buy something and you tell me what it is it that you're selling, now I'm in the mode of comparing your service and your product to your competitor. Well, you don't have these features, they charge this much money, you charge more. Right. And now it's all about <laughs> essentially you're a commodity competing in that market. When you start with a simple belief of selling or your vision, or okay. what is that audacious goal you have? Right. What is the big problem you're trying to solve? And if people believe in you, and, this, and you sell yourself, they will buy everything you have. Because they believe you're going to be successful and they want to associate themselves with success. Sure. And even if your product may not have all the bells and whistles, they'll come back and say, you know what Josh, I love the thing, I want to work with you, can you add the following two features in your next version? Right. And they will still work with you. Because they, you need to sell yourself, sell your vision, sell the passion that why you would die and give the last drop of blood before you let this fail.
0: Uh, you talk into about false belief patterns, and I'd like to kind of understand that a little bit more and, and <laughs> what you mean by you know breaking those false belief patterns.
2: Everyone thinks that like, the way you sell someone, you come in there and you educate them for 60 minutes then you sell them something at the end. It is completely not true. <laughs> the way that it works, the way I do my presentations, the way I teach, the way I sell, the way everything works is um, I have to understand what somebody's false belief patterns are about the thing that I'm trying to sell, right? Sure. So if I was going to try to sell you this phone, inherently there's going to be a bunch of false beliefs you have almost immediately. And and I found that they kind of fall into three different buckets. One is usually um, false beliefs ab- about the, the thing, right? The new opportunity you're giving them. Number two is the false beliefs they have about themselves like, I don't know if I could actually do that. Right. And then third, like false beliefs are like, oh, well, they got to blame someone, their wife, their spouse, their the weather, whatever it is, right? And so what I try to <laughs> walk you through in the book is like, okay, if I'm going to sell you this book, this, this phone, what are all the false beliefs that they currently have? And I want to write them all down. Like, Hey, well, they, they believe that it's going to be too big to fit in their pocket. They're going to believe, you know, whatever it is. And for your, for whatever it is you sell, it's probably going to be different. But like, what are the false beliefs they have about those things? And what are the false beliefs they have about themselves being able to actually execute on those things? And what uh, are the external <clears> things that they, <throat> other false beliefs have about other people, or other things they, they, they could blame. Them. Like, oh, I can't do it because of blah, you know? And so I figured out all those things, I list out all the false beliefs and then what we do in in the process in the book is like, you think you look at the false beliefs. So say I'll use network marketing because it's the easiest to to, sure. to illustrate with, right? So network marketing. The false belief could be like, um, if I if I uh, if I join a network marketing company, I'm going to lose my friends and my family members, right? Mm, so that's yeah. the false belief they had. Now, now my question is like, well, why do they have that false belief? Like, what was the experience that that made them believe that? So the experience they had was probably – maybe they either joined one at one time and they called their mom and their dad and their sister and like got hung up on three times and like, oh. And so it created this story or maybe it's when one of their friends called them and started pressuring them and they're like, oh, they didn't feel good. So they're like, no, this is bad. And so they created this story and this is – this story is the false belief they have about it. So if I want to get – if I want to overcome that false belief for them, I have to have a better story. And so I I said, okay Okay. well, here's their false belief. What's the epiphany bridge story that I have that trumps that one? And so I might say, well, look, I had the same false belief that you do. In fact, let me tell you the story. And I go to my, my Epiphany Bridge story. And let's say the story is like, you know, I got a network marketing and I called my mom and my dad and my sister just like you did. And guess what? They all hung up on me. Like it was the same thing. It was horrible. And I almost gave up. And man, I met this guy. And he explained this thing called the internet and how you can actually generate leads on the internet, whatever it is, right? And I had this epiphany <laughs> that there's actually people who actually want this crap. And so I went online. I started doing this thing. And all of a sudden, people started coming to me and I got leads. And now I got this big team. And everyone who contacts me, like, people actually want this product. And it's so great. And I tell that story, and all of a sudden, like they're over here, and they're like, "Wow, like, my belief was this before, but he's right. He had the same experience that I had, but he forgot out this other piece. And all of a sudden, this false belief disappears and it's gone. And now the your story becomes their new belief, and that's the key. And so I do. Uh, I figure right. like out what's the core false belief they have about the vehicle I'm trying to get them into, and the second one like, "What about me? Okay, so if you look at like my webinar, right? My first false belief I'm trying to get people to believe that um, that funnels are the greatest thing in the world. So as I explain that, all of a sudden they're like, "Wow." Russell's right. Phones are awesome. So they believe the vehicle, but then they're like, oh, but I'm not technical. I can't do it. There's my false belief. <laughs> I'm like, guess what? I'm not technical either. Check this out. And I show it. I do a demo. And all of a sudden I show it, and They're like, holy cow, I can actually do that. And this false belief disappears. And now my belief's in their form. Right. So boom, boom. And then my third one for me, external, for my business, is like, well, you know, I believe phones are the coolest thing in the world. I think I could actually build them, but I don't know how to get traffic. So I can't do it. So I'm like, well, guess what? I don't know how to get traffic either. In fact, let me tell you the story. I tell a story about how I do my traffic stuff. And all of a sudden they're like, I could do that. And this false belief falls away. And if you do it right, like if you knock down those false beliefs, like the only option they have is to give you money or else they're going to be lying to themselves. And that's what's so cool about this thing. And so this book is all about that. And I have to understand the structuring of stories is like, you know, what are all the false beliefs? And these are all the things I need to touch upon and the stories I need to have. And we, excuse me, we tell those stories, those false beliefs fall away. And that's how they become customers or clients or fans or whatever you want to call them for you. And that's the key. That's awesome. What was
0: your maybe your one or two top things that you've learned from that you've uncovered that has really
3: made a transformation in your life? Sure. I think the focus on service is first and foremost the most important thing. Um, When you focus on serving other people, life will take care of you. Right. Um, And also uh, uh, piggyback on that. Um, When you serve other people, and this is going to sound a little woo woo, but that's cool. I believe that when you serve other people, like you will step into what's called effortless survival. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about like the bills getting paid, like you will be taken care of if you're taking care of others. Like that's just like, I would say like top two. And then the third thing is, and it's always about adding value, but people always ask me like, and how did you get on, you know, Super Soul Sunday? Or, you know, how did Tony or Ariana or any of these people, like, how did you get in their orbit? And I think the most important thing is that like... Dedicate your life and your mission um, and your business to something larger than yourself and focus on adding value to people who are further down the road than you are and when you're mission-driven, people resonate with that. If you're coming at someone with like my book, my podcast, my this, my that, sure. like that sort of is a turnoff. But when you can focus on here's the mission, here's how this can help you, here's how this can serve, that just resonates. Because people who are in power positions can notice people who have power even if they're not that far along in their career yet. They, they notice that similar pattern. So I just focus – And ultimately, it's just three ways to focus on the give, I guess. Cool. <laughs> no, that's awesome. One last thought, idea, wisdom that you want to leave our audience with. Sure. I think the biggest thing, and uh, it's probably not like a broken record, but when you can dedicate yourself to a cause and a purpose bigger than yourself, um, when you can get, you know, and that might just be in the beginning, proving the haters wrong, like people who don't think you can do it. Sure. But when you tap into something larger than yourself and you offer your gift, even if you don't know exactly what it is, but to others in the form of service, like you are going to sign up for an incredible journey. And the only thing that's stopping you is, you know, past trauma. And when you really get clear on, you know, what that is for you and, and why it's there and, and not beat yourself up, but you know, understand that, you know, maybe you're not going as fast as you could be because a part of you is scared to move forward. Right. To me, that is greatness. To me, that is really what power is all about. Sure. That is what takes you to that next level. So you know, consciously dedicate yourself to serving others and then also consciously dedicate yourself to just, you know, doing the inner work and don't do the bypass, you know, um, really focus on taking really great care of yourself so that you can be a vessel of service. Awesome. And just one quick note when you mentioned, you know, Hey, find a cause bigger than
0: yourself. Cause you know, I don't want people to think, Oh, well, I can't go do that. Cause I got to go to Africa for six months. And I, you know, maybe just give us a quick little insight because sure. we want people to take action and we want for
3: people sure. to go do that there's a, a couple different phases if you're just getting started and you're in fight or flight mode and you're worried about paying your bills like it doesn't really matter uh, that other people you know that there's other issues out there right so it could literally be proving the people wrong who right. say you okay. can't do it like like if you're just getting started and you're wondering should I should I should I do this? Like, just know that every time you don't take action or start your business, like the person who hurt you or the person who said that you couldn't do it is winning. Right. So like prove them wrong. Reve- some of the best success is revenge. Now at some point that's going to get old <laughs> and you're going to have to learn how to focus on what the world needs and start to focus on like certain types of problems will be coming to you
0: uh, and you'll start okay. to be able
3: to f- figure that out. But it's a discovery process. You know, you're not going to know that ahead of time. So don't try to know stuff that you don't know before you don't, before you know it. Like, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) right see it as a daily process but in the very beginning prove the haters wrong because if you don't take action they're right and that usually gets people like you man I'm not fucking right I'm gonna fucking do this you know like yeah. and that to me is really important but eventually like I'm no longer trying to prove the people wrong who said I couldn't do it because my demonstration proves them wrong right but now what fuels me is like I want to put an end to trauma because it's hereditary that's a larger cause but now because I have a larger business and I can focus on that it's cool to focus on that but for just now if you're just getting started prove the haters wrong cool Awesome. Right that, now, and, not tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, do it right now. <laughs> so you had, you know, one, you know,
0: company is super successful. Another one that you guys launched, you know, several months back, that's doing, you know, awesome. Um, I think you mentioned you already had over 300 different uh, memberships. What would you say is kind of that correlation of things that have gotten you success? I mean, obviously we know the marketing and everything there, but kind of you personally, what have you found that's like, all right, this has helped me here. It's also helped me here and you're building, you know, continue to build off of that success.
4: I think one thing that we did really well at the beginning of free up, and then we're kind of doing again in outsource school is listening to feedback of the people that are actually buying your stuff. And so early on we're like, hey, what do you like? What do you hate? What issues are you running out, running into? And we're not scared to get bad feedback and, and change things and tweak things. And so we're just like, Free up kind of evolved each year and we tried to make it better and better based on all the feedback we we're getting. Outsource School has come a long way. If you listen to one of my podcasts from four months ago, I'm probably not even, it doesn't even seem like I'm talking about the same business because we listen to lots of feedback and we make tweaks. And, and to me, a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they think they know what their customer wants, but they don't actually know what their customer wants. And the only way that you figure that out is by listening to feedback, actually caring, and then implementing that feedback quickly.
0: Mm. No, that's really great. Then how do you kind of discern, like separate out, because obviously you probably get tens of thousands of different directions of feedback, like I want it pink, and but no, green's a better color, you know, whatever, or functionality, whatever it may be. But how do you then filter all that down and say, okay, yeah, these are the exact changes we're gonna make to move it forward and make it better.
4: Yeah. Our process for that is we collect everyone's feedback. We listen to everyone's feedback we put it in a a list in Trello and then every month we'll go through it and we'll prioritize it of what makes sense. Because sometimes people will have an idea, but it's really like an eight month project, which if we just drop everything (laughs) and and work on it, like that's probably not the best thing for the business down the line when we have a bigger team, maybe that does make sense and we can get it done shorter. So, there's an element of prioritizing, but then we also like to communicate it back to people. If someone gives us a feature for simply SOP, that's a quick update. We'll say, great. Hey, we can make, we'll add that to our list. Mm. If something's a bigger project, we, we won't make them feel like they're ignored. We'll, we'll be honest with them. Like, Hey, right now our developers are working on X, Y, Z that we're excited for. And then after we'll reevaluate. So mm. I think that communication okay. is important and being organized on your side is also important
0: no that's great and then with outsourcing school because obviously you get the people that sign up and everything how do you get then people to kind of take the action on it Um, because always that's always the trickiest part with courses and everything you know how do you get and move them forward i know a lot of some people use gamification and different things like that but like how do you guys then get them to kind of take that action so they, they create that stickiness with you guys
4: yeah, great question. And this is definitely a new area for us, right? We've never sold digital products before. Right. We don't even like to, to look at our stuff as courses. We like to think of them as systems that you can plug into your business. Okay. So that's actually the part that we're building out now. We, we have an all-star virtual assistant team and we're doing experimenting with accountability calls where the first 30 days you get someone to walk you through it and mm. answer your questions, do it. We have a private Facebook group that we're about to start live coaching calls. Um, okay. And then also, are, we have a virtual assistant now who's just focused on the simply SOP software who will help onboard people. She'll even take your old SOPs, no matter if you have them spread out over Google docs and loom and all that, and she'll free migration, just get them onto the software for you, get you going, answering your questions. So we definitely have work to do there, um, but we're kind of building that out now. And again, listening to feedback and what people want, because not everyone wants that accountability. Not everyone right. wants to coaching call. Not everyone wants to use our software. So figuring out something that is structured, that helps people, but still gives people flexibility to go through the membership however they want.
0: Awesome. You've created your company, but then you have also started to stack yes. um, other opportunities along with that. Yeah. Um, a fulfillment center, right? Um, yep.
5: Yeah. The freight company. Yeah. And then, and, um, yeah. The
0: freight company. And then like a, then a software ecosystem, yes. obviously to help your members and everything else. Yes. Um, But I think that's one of the biggest things is when you can start to find other areas that maybe expenses and create them into areas of profitability. Yeah. I think it's huge. So I guess kind of give us a little bit of insights on why you did that and, 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 what that's all entailed
5: yeah be delighted to so i mean a lot of people listen to the show you listen to the show you might have heard of course about the three ways to grow a business from j abraham which is a very popular methodology being the first way is to get more subscribers or buyers the second way increase your average transaction value third way sell to your existing clients more frequently so if anyone doesn't know that that's what it is and what i really i uh, guess got really good at doing is executing that very strategy that plan because I, it's my belief that most businesses certainly in the internet marketing industry and actually every industry even though those uh, really great lessons are out there most companies are not doing it whereas we at marketplace superheroes We're really good at doing it. And another friend of mine who you might know, I think you might know, uh, Ben Adkins is another guy who I think is really good at doing that. And I learned a lot from Ben uh, a number of years ago about that. And so really what we've got good at doing is looking at our business and saying, well, who are we serving? Okay, well, we started out serving Amazon sellers. Okay, what are their biggest problems? And the biggest problem in the Amazon private label space has always been and will always be. Uh, well there's a couple but the biggest kind of logistical problem is of course shipping in from china if you are shipping from Mm. china and logistics in general is like a very big challenge so we found most of our competitors just were happy you know selling a course and maybe some software which is cool but we said to ourselves like how are we going to separate ourselves for the long term and that was to solve the freight problem and so we've literally put millions into that freight business now and it's doing very well. I think we're going to ship about 5 or 6 million units this year or something like that. Uh, so it's, it's doing very well. Um, but really, we just help people who want to ship a small quantity of goods do it at a level that's not ridiculously expensive. And that's where it led us to the ecosystem because we needed a way for people to like put their information in and place their orders in China and everything. And, and allow us as well to speak to the suppliers and do all of that for our clients because, again... That's another thing. If you let the clients, if they have to learn like this international logistics from scratch, it's, it's a bit yeah. of a nightmare. So for us, it's yeah. it's like simplifying the process continually for our members just to make it really easy for them to learn from us and execute what we're teaching has been important. And then that ecosystem just led to so many other things like, oh, I need, a, I need my listing written. I need translations done. And most companies we found would always refer those things out to different people. And we just thought, what if we don't refer it out? What if we build a system, an ecosystem that allows us that we can offer it all? And so that's what we've done. And it's really helped us grow pretty rapid, rapidly over the last number of years. And then when you mentioned stacking as well, like that would be, let's call it an opportunity stack within the same one. And now right. 2021, 2022 onwards, we are moving into more areas now because our audience like, has said, yeah, I'm doing Amazon. Okay, well, is there anything else that I can do that makes sense? So we've really become the tall position there of like looking out and seeing well what are other opportunities that are that are related to this but don't replace Amazon but they're nice complementary opportunities and that's enabled us just to keep building out our 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 education business our coaching business and obviously as we add in new streams let's call them or new 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 tracks we add in new services then and so we're constantly building backends and frontends to what we're doing while obviously keeping a massive ion, on are we actually helping these people rather than just selling something you know for the sake of selling you know
0: the whole believe you know i've i you've kind of branded into that and that's kind of become part of who you are what is that message you know you're trying to connect with people on and and then what are you trying to bring to them
6: yeah so i think lack of belief is the biggest problem in the world so what i'm trying to solve every day I think everybody has a most important core value that when you figure out, it gives you a lot more clarity on how to live your life and the projects to take on. So I see the world through the lens of belief. Everything that I do is trying to help myself as well as other people believe in what I call their Michael Jordan level genius at something. You could be the greatest in the world at something, and it's probably not what your parents did or what you went to school to learn. It's something else. But if you don't believe in it you won't chase it down meanwhile dummies are winning off of your idea just because they started and believe in themselves a little bit more and so when you figure out what your most important core value is a brand is just an emotion right a a, a brand is what do people feel about you so i want people to feel belief i want them to feel when they're engaging with any in this interview if they watch the replay if it's any of my YouTube videos or Instagram content or one-on-ones or speaking gigs or books, I want people to feel like they have a little more belief in themselves because they were around something that I created.
0: And so, do you think, cause I talking to entrepreneurs or different people all the time, a lot of people get stuck with fear, you know, like they're, they, they have the fear so they don't take action and all that. Do you think it comes from then not believing in themselves enough or?
6: Uh, For sure. I mean, I think that's why it's the world's number one problem, the lack of of belief. But I think also you could talk your way through it and to say, okay, well, I've done something like this before. And so now I can do something like this again. But what I try to do now, instead of even having an intellectual conversation with myself, is being afraid is not a good enough reason. Hmm. Just period. If you're afraid, that's not a good enough reason. Now. That doesn't mean you just go jump in from a helicopter with no parachute because you're afraid, right? Like that's just stupid. Don't be stupid. But most of the things that we're afraid to do, we're not even afraid of failing, Josh. We're afraid of failing in front of somebody else. Mm. We'll sing in the shower, but you won't sing on the street corner. Right. Because we're afraid of the judgment. That's really what we're afraid of is other people's judgment. And that's not a good enough reason. So I try to catch it whenever I'm afraid. I have to do it. Just because, because fear is the fear is the reason and fear is not a good enough reason. So scary, difficult or hard are three trigger words for me that if, if I say scary, difficult or hard or if I write it in a message or if I'm thinking it or if I say it in the conversation and I've trained the people around me too, that, if, if I say scary, difficult or hard, like, ah, oh, OK, now I got to do it because I said those words because that's not a good enough reason for me not to do the thing.
0: And what were, like for you, what were some of those things that were falling into like that scary, difficult, and hard? I mean, that you're like, all right, I got to go do this. I mean, obviously, you own the largest dance, salsa dance studio in Toronto. And that probably just wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go open a salsa dance studio.
6: <laughs> yeah. Uh, my biggest fear is disappointing people. Okay. So I'm afraid that I'm going to go on stage uh, or come to an interview and just blank out. Hmm. Uh, so even getting this started, right. We were, we started five minutes late because my Skype wouldn't load and it's like, it's resetting. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Josh, don't hate me. <laughs> are you, still there? you know, like maybe he moved on to the next interview or something. We couldn't get our show together. Uh, that's the constant, you know, I, I, I value other people's time. I hate it when people are late for me. Uh, and so that even like, what's an example of today? I'm stressed out about getting on this show because I don't want to be late and disappoint you, but still that's not a good enough reason. Right. right. We finally fixed my Skype and I, I messaged you. Hey, I got it working. You know, are we still on? And he said, <laughs> yeah, no problem. And we, and we were live. And most of the time people are super chill and okay. And, and understanding because we've all been in that situation. For sure. Where something went wrong and, you know, but still it, it's still the voice in my head. It's just, it's fighting that voice in your head and telling yourself that you're going to do it anyway because you don't want every time that you listen to that voice and every time you accept fear as a good enough reason, then the next time you play small again. And the next time you play small again and you, now you start to train yourself. I'm afraid I don't do it. I'm afraid I don't do it. It becomes this this loop that becomes your identity mm. that you get great ideas. You become scared and then you don't do it. So right. The next time you get a great idea you're gonna tell yourself, okay, I'm scared and then that, and that I don't do it. And that becomes the loop that you're stuck on. Where if you wanna make bank, <laughs> you know, you, you gotta break through. And that comes from catching those moments where you're afraid and then having the courage to go off and do them despite the fear.
0: We got a few minutes left. What's one thing you're like, oh man, I was hoping Josh was gonna ask me this, but he didn't. But I really wanna share it with people before we wrap up.
5: Yeah, I guess uh,
7: one is just like, you know, what, what keeps you up at night? Or for, for you know, uh, or I guess another question I was thinking of is is what would what would I've done differently? Sure, if I could do it all over again, I don't know which of, which of those excites you more. I'm let's let's, let's
0: go with uh, what, you know what would we'll start with what you what would you do differently if you could do it all over again?
7: Yeah, uh, number one thing, and it seems a little bit ironic saying this because we we're only a three year old company. Uh, move faster. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I realized is the great equalizer across humanity is time. You know, unless you believe in like an alternate universe and like some space co- space time continuum contro- you know, conspiracies, uh, a, t- a unit of time is the same to all of us. And um, what I've seen is companies and entrepreneurs are able to move faster and faster and faster because we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, a company, someone starting a fintech company can leverage plaid and segment and all these infrastructure tools It used to take five years to build a company. Now it could take five months, like five weeks. And, you know, to some extent, I think that probably extends to like the restaurant business and like getting into real estate. Like there's just so much more information out there. And so way easier to spin up a website. You can use a no-code or low-code tool, spin up an app MVP. So, you know, obviously it's easy to say now because all those things didn't really exist five, 10 years ago. But I think we focus too much on getting everything perfect. This is like showing my stripes a little bit as like, you know, try to be an A-plus student growing up. You want to get an right. A-plus on the exam. We took the same mentality to starting a business. By the way, exactly the wrong mentality. No one cares. No one remembers your failures. Nope. All, all that matters is move fast, fail fast, make mistakes. So we strongly encourage people to take a very iterative approach. Throw stuff out there. See what sticks. Talk to customers. Like, you know, do surveys. Um, and don't be afraid to, to fail fast. Awesome. And then what keeps you up at night? For me now, fortunately, I've, you know, I, I guess I've graduated from, uh, the, the nightmares of, are we going to find product market fit tomorrow? Are people going right. to buy this thing we're building? Um, they clearly are. And so the next chapter for me, having graduated from that class is, uh, is just scaling. And like I said, being a good manager of people, like good, being a good scout, right? Like speaking of like athletes, like being a good judge of character, a good judge of talent, it's crazy to say, but we've never laid anyone off in our three-year history. I can't think of many startups that done that. And I, and on the one hand, it's because we're very careful with who we choose. On the other hand, because we're growing so fast, we do need to scale up quickly. And I'm very cognizant that like all it takes is one bad apple to spoil the bunch. So yeah. like what keeps me up at night is making that really bad hire. Culture starts to fall apart. But I, I'm confident we'll, we'll be okay.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and that's the key is if you do, you just got to fire fast.
7: <laughs> exactly. It's, a, it, you know, it's, and by the way, as long as it's not a surprise, I'm a big fan of like no surprises. Like right. there should be constant check-ins, there should be previews, there should be a performance improvement plan if that's not going right. Many times it's a relief for both people. It's like, yeah, oh man, sure. I knew I knew I wasn't a great fit for this. I'm happy to hear you say it. Not always, but um, I totally agree. Yeah, do get it though. Whether it's right or wrong, just do it fast.
0: Awesome. I am Josh Felbert. you were watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. <laughs>